Hi there. You're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show, where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Okay, well, as promised, I'm back to continue the Ask Me Anything question episode. And this question needed an entire podcast episode. So thank you for sending this in. Here was the question. Hello, Anne. Do you have any advice for paralegal managers in regards to how to keep your team engaged in their work? I am also curious to hear your thoughts on how to encourage the paralegals you manage to sharpen their skills. Finally, what are some of the characteristics of a good paralegal manager? So yeah, a lot to unpack with those questions. Before I answer her specific questions, I do have to just speak generally about the role of a paralegal manager. How effective you are as a paralegal manager is going to depend on the type of manager role that you have within the organization. Let me explain. I don't mean your management style or even necessarily your title. Your title could be paralegal supervisor, paralegal manager, director of paralegals. There's all kinds of titles out there. The title isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the two completely different roles within an organization. One is that you as the manager or whatever your title is, that you report directly to the managing partner of the firm or the person at your organization who is as close to the top as you can get. In this role, you've been hired to lead the paralegals and you have the authority to do what it takes to have a successful team. In other words, you can make hiring and firing decisions on your own, following the firm's policies, of course, and just so much more. I'll explain that more in a minute. I know it well because I was lucky enough to have that role. And yet I knew very many paralegal managers in other firms at the time who had the same title as me, but played a very different role in the firm. So the other role is that you were hired by HR, human resources, and you report to either an HR person or the chief HR director, officer, whatever that is. You're there, not, not in all circumstances, but in most circumstances. You're there to push their rules out to the paralegals and to enforce the rules and manage them, but not as much lead them. For example, if the firm has a policy of paralegals getting their overtime approved in advance, remember the one I talked about in the last episode? If the firm has a policy like that, you're the one they come to. If they want approval to attend a training event, you approve that. But beyond being an extension of HR, in this role, you pretty much have to get everything approved by HR for things like hiring and firing decisions. Not that you wouldn't ever consult them in role number one. It's just you got to get everything approved, even establishing any kind of internal training program. 
When I was a paralegal manager, I was lucky enough that I was in role number one. But now here's the thing. I didn't know before I took that position that the roles could be that drastically different. All I knew is that I was in the interview with the managing partner, and he asked me what I would need to be successful in my position if I was offered this position. And I said, I'd need your support and making sure that everyone knows that I have the authority to lead this group the way I see fit. And so it was. I was the firm's first paralegal manager. Now, with that type of role, though, he also warned me, though, that being in that type of role also means that the success or failure of it is on you. It was on me. Luckily for me, it was a huge success. Until the managing partner left the firm and my position then reported to HR. It was a slow transition, and before I knew it, I was being asked to be a rule enforcer instead of a leader. By that time, I kind of already knew that what I really enjoyed in my management position was training the new paralegals, and so luckily it was easy to transition into the, hey, I'm leaving to start my own business. I tell you that story because if you're in role number two, the rule enforcer, then there's only so much you can do to have a great paralegal program at your firm. I'm not saying it's impossible, not at all. I'm sure there are plenty of great HR departments out there who want you to succeed. Most probably just want you to succeed on their terms while also staying under budget. For answering your questions, I'm going to assume that you're somewhere in between role one and role two. In other words, You do have some control over the hiring and management of your team. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have asked the questions that you did. You know, I'm going to start with the last question first because it's kind of more general. What are some of the characteristics of a good paralegal manager? I would say number one, the most important, at least it's the most important right now that I can think of off the top of my head, is Be the manager that you would want to have if you were the paralegal. Let me give you an example. When I was a paralegal working at Big Law, one of the things that annoyed the crap out of me was the mass email that was sent out to everyone reminding them of this policy or that policy. We had a casual Friday where we could wear jeans but no sneakers and no t-shirts were allowed. Well, there was always that one person that would wear dirty sneakers or ripped jeans. Everyone else wore nice shoes with jeans and a blazer or a blouse. But we'd all get that same email reminding us of the dress policy. And you'd know it was, you know, it was really because of this one person and the office manager just didn't have the management skills to go talk to that one person. Instead, I'm going to interrupt the day of 100 people. So when I became a paralegal manager, that was one thing that I never did. If one paralegal did something wrong, I would go talk to that one paralegal instead of interrupting the work and productivity of all the rest of the paralegals. Another example, let's say as a manager, you know someone is abusing overtime because they're not billing even close to target for their billable hours, but they're still putting in 10 hours of overtime a week. 
don't send a mass email reminding people to limit their overtime to just billable hours. The person abusing it is going to do just that. They'll be unproductive all day long and at 6 p.m. work on that rush project that's due at midnight and that rush project is billable. So they'll take that mass email and that policy that you wrote literally and say, okay, well, I can mess off all day and when I get that project at 6, I'll work on that billable project at 6 p.m. I could give lots of examples here, but, you know, be their leader, don't be their boss. And be the leader that you would want if you were the paralegal. Which leads me to number two when you're talking about characteristics of a really good paralegal manager. I think, personally, that a really good paralegal manager is a former paralegal. Can the office manager with an HR background who's never worked as a paralegal manage the paralegals? Sure, they can manage them, like in role number two. But I think to take on role number one, to lead them, you need to have worked as a paralegal. Now, I have no idea who sent in the question and what their background is. So please don't take offense to this if you're a paralegal manager who's never worked as a paralegal. It's not that you can't be a good manager of paralegals. But I do think that it helps tremendously to have that background and truly understand the role of a paralegal before being a paralegal manager. In fact, I had a guest on the podcast, gosh, I guess it was last year sometime. Um, I'll get a link to the episode and put it in the show notes. It was an interview of Kim Barrett, and the title of it was "Go: How to Go from Legal Receptionist or Law Firm Receptionist to Director of Paralegals. And, you know, having that paralegal background, she speaks to that, how it has benefited her tremendously in her role. All right, number three, characteristics or traits, maybe. Could be trait, a trait, confidence, I think. Yeah, oh boy. (laughs) Do you need confidence to be a paralegal manager? Because you're going to be sitting in a room full of partners complaining about this or that, uh, maybe about a paralegal or two, and you know they're full of crap about one or more of those things. It's going to take confidence for you to be the one to say, wait a minute, you're blaming the paralegal for producing a privileged document, but you didn't have any kind of discussion to confirm what kind of quality assurance steps you had in place for that? And yes, I've said that to a partner. (laughs) That's why I use that as an example. You're also going to need confidence to do the same thing with the paralegals you're leading. When I started as a paralegal manager, I was 30. Five, 36. I think I was 35 years old. At 35, I was managing paralegals who were much older than me and had a lot more years of experience. And you know, that's one of the things why I discuss that a lot on the podcast about how years of experience don't matter. Yeah, at the time I became a paralegal manager, I might have had less than their 30 years of experience, but the years of experience I had were really good experiences. And so I think that builds a different level of, quote, paralegal experience. I tell you that because regardless of how old you are, as you're asking this question, I don't think that age matters if you have confidence. But if you don't have confidence, especially confidence in that role, 
the other paralegals, particularly the senior ones, will be able to pick up on that. Okay, number four. Here's a characteristic. Strong work ethic. I would add also, you know, you're not getting paid overtime now, but you're probably going to work just as many hours as you did as a paralegal when you were getting paid overtime, or you're probably going to maybe even work more hours. Okay, so the characteristics, boy, that could almost be a whole episode on its own, but I'm going to I'm going to leave it at those four cuz I want to get to the other two questions. The other question was, do you have any advice for paralegal managers in regards to how to keep your team engaged in their work? You know, this one is hard. To keep them engaged, it's really more about the attorneys they work for on their team, I think. Give me a second on this one. I think the way to do that, to get the attorneys engaged and for them to be engaged with the attorneys is to make sure they're on the right team. Is it a good personality fit? I remember hiring for a particular team that I knew was hard to work for, and it was because the attorneys didn't engage at all personally with anyone on the team. I interviewed this paralegal who didn't have nearly the years of experience that the lawyers on the team thought that they wanted, but she had a similar personality. She preferred to be more of a loner, wasn't very outgoing, but was very smart. I hired her, and it was a great fit. If I hired someone else who had more experience, but maybe was outgoing and, you know, then felt like they were left on this desert island with no in-person contact from the attorneys, she would have been miserable. Every single paralegal will be different in terms of what they need to feel engaged. Some are going to want to be involved in client meetings or have regular interaction from their attorneys, and others will prefer to be left alone and just get their projects done. Both of them are going to feel engaged if they're on the right team. And that's why I say it's important for you to make sure that it's more about the lawyers. The lawyers are the ones who are going to be able to get them engaged more so. Now, you might find a great personality fit who's not going to have a great resume, and it's going to be the perfect person for that team, the perfect one who's going to feel engaged on that team. And just because it's not a great resume doesn't mean you should overlook that. Personally, in my experience, I think that the personality fit is far more important than the years of experience. Okay, well, with all that being said, let's assume They're on the right team and they're getting some great interaction with their attorneys that they directly report to, um, good personality fit, all that. Let me give you some ideas to kind of up the engagement level. And I'm just going to put these out off the top of my head. So no particular order of importance. Um, The first would be for you as their manager to have regular team meetings. Depending on the size of your team, that could be once a month, once a quarter. I think once a month is better if you're talking about engagement. And these don't have to be where you all sit around and have roundtable discussions and you have to put together a formal agenda. If you're doing it monthly, you could mix it up and maybe have a guest speaker come in one month 
do a roundtable the next month. And the following month, it could be a meeting where you choose a topic to discuss with them and then open the floor for discussions. For example, let's have a discussion on how I can help you feel more engaged at work. That's a meeting topic. Talk to them about some ideas that you have and see what kind of response you get. The second would be social activities. You know, I have to tell you, back in the day when I was a litigation paralegal at my second firm that I worked at, I I was in trial a lot and I would, you know, have opposing counsel on the other side and I guess would either see my work or whatever. And I got job offers all the time to leave the firm and for more money. You know why I didn't? Well, first, I loved the work I was doing. I was making great money and worked for some great attorneys. But also because I had become friends with a lot of the people that I worked with. So the office at the time maybe had, I don't know, 100 attorneys and maybe 20 paralegals. And so there were probably an additional 40 secretaries and other admin staff. Anyways, it was sometimes every week, but mostly maybe every other week or once a month, they would do a happy hour in the conference room. And pretty much the same kind of people went, you know, there were usually maybe 15 to 20 people there. And it was a time to socialize. And when you do that, and you get to know people on a personal level, it makes it really hard to just up and leave that. You feel like you have this bond with these people, right? And you're going to all of a sudden just up and leave and go to another firm. I have to tell you, as much as I know, like firms don't do happy hours, and I'm not saying do a happy hour, but that one social activity made it to where I was a lot less likely to leave the firm, a lot. And in fact, the only reason I left was because I was recruited to go be a paralegal manager. I didn't leave the firm ever to go be a paralegal. So it could be a monthly afternoon break with all of you meeting, you know, and just having a social, personal discussion. It could be monthly birthday celebrations. I definitely consider an annual holiday lunch. Even if your firm does one for the entire office, I'd have one with just you and your paralegals at a local restaurant outside the office. Even if it's just a team of the five of you. Um, You know, I was able to implement those as a paralegal manager and they all looked forward to it. They really looked forward to having that annual holiday lunch. And if it's hard around the holidays, maybe you choose to do like, call it your annual holiday lunch, but do it in January, you know, when it's not around the holidays. Third, I would say recognition. This one is free, right? That's, and to me, it's, Probably the second best one. First one would be regular team meetings. Um, No, I would say maybe this one is the best one. Because the recognition can be free, and it can come from you and from their attorneys. And that could be as simple as you stopping by their office and telling them in person, you know, hey, thanks for coming in this weekend and helping out, or on that other project, or, hey, I heard you were out of town for the last two weeks on trial. Thank you for 
sacrificing your personal time away from your family. So it could be that, just stopping by, telling them in person. And I would maybe mix it up, right? Don't do it every time in person. Maybe next time you write a personal handwritten note that you leave on their desk or just a quick email. So with recognition, remember though, it's got to be for them doing something that was above and beyond their normal responsibilities. You know, like that one of your, you've got a litigation paralegal who's worked all weekend on this big project and, you know, it had to go out on Monday and, you know, she or he worked all weekend and maybe it wasn't even on their team, right? Something like that. All right, so there's three ways of being engaged in addition to, you know, make sure it's a good personality fit. So let's see, your final question was, I am also curious to hear your thoughts on how to encourage the paralegals you manage to sharpen their skills. Wow. <laughs> I think this one's going to be harder to answer than, than I would have thought. It's funny because that's what I do, right? I train paralegals. I sell courses that help train paralegals. But I also remember being a paralegal manager trying to explain to the 30-year experienced paralegal how it wasn't okay that she didn't know how to use Microsoft Excel at all. First, I like how you use the word encourage. I'm going back to read the question again. You did say encourage. You're not forcing them to sharpen their skills. You said encourage. I think that's all you can do is encourage them. If you're offering training programs to them and they don't want to participate or they don't want to take advantage of outside training that your firm is paying for and offering, I'd have to ask you, is that the best use of your time trying to convince that paralegal that they should sharpen their skills? I have to be careful here because I don't know the circumstances behind the question, so I don't know if that's what's happening. But I did an episode a while back, can't remember the number of it, but it was titled something like, we should all be so lucky to work at this firm. It was about a paralegal who was complaining about having to attend a live professional development program that the firm had paid me to come in and teach. You know, there's always one in every single organization. That person who thinks they know it all and there's nothing that anyone could possibly ever teach to them. If that's the case, I'd say, well then, let's have you do a short presentation on XYZ. You're saying this to your the paralegals that you can't, quote, encourage, who don't want to sharpen their skills because they think they're already sharp enough. Then maybe they should be giving a presentation to the younger paralegals who could benefit from those really sharp skills of that paralegal. I have paralegals every single day who go on the Paralegal Bootcamp's website and put their own credit cards down, say for a $300 course, because they want to do better. They want to do better. Or they reach out and ask for a payment plan on a course that maybe they can't afford and it's kind of a stretch. And seeing the other side of that, paralegals willing to pay for their own skill sharpening, that's maybe influencing this answer a little bit. But I have to say, 
I would not be spending your time encouraging your paralegals to sharpen their skills if they don't want to. I'd be spending time trying to hire these paralegals who are out there paying money out of their own pockets because they understand the importance of sharpening their skills. And they're going to do it regardless of whether or not you want them to or you pay for it or not. Those are the type of paralegals that you want on your team. In my experience, I've found that the more paralegals you have who are excited about professional development opportunities and the sharper their skills become, the few paralegals who don't really care about it, those you've got a one-off who just doesn't want to attend and, and all of that, when you have a team full of people who otherwise do want to sharpen their skills, then they kind of start coming around on their own because they feel like they don't fit in anymore. They're missing out on this professional development opportunity, even if it's just to be seen by the other paralegals. So what I would say is focus your time and attention on the paralegals who want to sharpen their skills, who you don't need to encourage anything for. The minute they, that you say, hey, I've got a trainer coming in, we're going to learn all about XYZ, and they're all raising their hand, focus on those paralegals. I don't want to end on a negative note. So let me add another suggestion because I know that sounded kind of negative. Now, here's a suggestion. I've not done it, but I've heard of other law firms doing it. They tie a paralegal's professional development to their performance reviews and their raises or bonuses, whatever. Maybe not directly, but as part of an overall kind of points system. For example, paralegal A and paralegal B both have the same years of experience. They've both been at the firm for five years. They both received glowing reviews from their attorneys. Paralegal A also attended several training sessions throughout the year. And you know this because they send you those certificates of attendance, or at least now they do. So paralegal A does that. Paralegal B hasn't attended any training sessions for years. Then paralegal A gets a little bit bigger raise than paralegal B which is a good idea anyways, because paralegal A is going to be much more efficient and effective because paralegal A has been sharpening their skills while paralegal B is falling behind in their skills. All right, well, I hope that these answers were helpful to you. And I have been looking in that inbox, the forms keep coming in and Heather shows them to me. I have to say there are a lot of questions, so stick around. Uh, Even if I have to do a couple of extra episodes or something, I am going to get through all of your questions. All right. And next week, I've got something super special because I received a DM, a private DM from a paralegal who only gave me the initial M. So paralegal M who sent that DM about getting ready for trial and how helpful you find the podcast episodes and you look forward to every Monday morning. Well, I'm doing an episode just for you next Monday, and it's going to be all about how to help you do some of your trial prep. All right, I'll see you then. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. 
share the knowledge, and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.